Well, I want to thank you for allowing me to come back. Um, you do realize why Joni's an angel? God knew she was going to marry Dr. Freimeyer, so she had to do something. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I love this passage in Gideon. If you get to know me, you'll find out that I'm an Old Testament freak. I just love it. I think narrative is just wonderful. And my two favorite characters are Joshua and Gideon. Joshua, who I want to be like, Gideon to more I ascribed as. You know, Joshua, the guy who in Exodus 33, it says that Moses comes out from his tent and goes to the tabernacle, and everybody watches Moses go, but Joshua stays at the tent. And here you have Gideon who's hiding in a hole. He's in a wine press. It's a big hole in the ground. You ever thought about thrashing wheat? Thrashing wheat, they had to throw it up in the air so the wind caught the, the chaff and blew it away. He's in a hole. He's throwing up the wheat in a hole. I mean, he's working against himself here. Joshua, the guy who God said, be strong and courageous over and over and over again. And when he meets the angel of the Lord or a Christophany or a Theophany, whatever you ascribe to, Joshua falls down and recognizes him and says, oh God. Here Gideon goes, wait here, let me go do something. <laughs> Joshua, the guy I want to be like, Gideon, the guy I attune to mostly. Because here we have Gideon, and if you think about someone to be a deliverer, this is most likely not the guy you're going to choose. And when we're operating calling, it's not our giftings or our position or who we are that makes us called. As Dr. Farmer was telling you, uh, in my course of being in seminary here, um, I went from being associate pastor of doing youth, which I had done for 20 years, pretty accustomed doing youth, been it for a while, becoming senior pastor. And all of a sudden, I was in a whole new learning curve. And God began exposing things in my life and showing me how unholy, and I'm not using the word H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y, I was. And God began exposing things in my life. And here's the great thing about God, is God is in the restoration business. Wouldn't you agree? Because if God was in the restoration business, we wouldn't be here. In my course of study, I uh, went through major heart surgery. Uh, I had quadruple bypass surgery in the midst of my second year of being here. And since then, I've had a defibrillator put in. I've had a part of my foot removed, all these things. And yet, in the process, God is making me whole. And you look at that and go, that, that's irony. Taking away parts, but he's making me whole. And God's revealing these insecurities in my life. And Gideon is a perfect example. If you have your Bibles, by the way, you're seminary students, you should have your Bibles. <laughs> Verse 11, now the angel Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree at Ophrah and belonged to Joash, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat. And the angel appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. This is the most ironic statement I think I've ever read in Scripture. He's hiding in a hole, and he calls him the mighty man of valor. Um, hello? You see, here's what happens. When we begin to walk in our calling, we tend to make excuses, believe lies, or we tend to blame God. You know what Gideon says here? If God is with us, then why are we the servants of the Midianites? Wasn't he the God who was supposed to have brought us out of Egypt? And you see this theme all the way through the Old Testament, that God brought them out of Egypt. You got to spend some time in Exodus. Take Dr. Russell's class on Exodus. It's fantastic. Because you learn 
all these things that God did for the people, and they keep going back to Egypt. And Gideon here says, if God is with us, matter of fact, remember, the angel says, mighty man of valor. If God is with us, then why did God put these Midianites over us? He ends up blaming God for the circumstance. In the ESV, it says, God has forsaken us. Folks, beloved, has God forsaken us? No. I will never leave you or forsake you, he says. But yet sometimes we walk away and we don't even realize it. Gideon and the Israelites had walked away and hadn't even realized it. And so here he is hiding in a hole. But the great thing about this passage is the angel comes, and whether it's angel or it's a Christophany or a Theophany, whatever part of theology you attain to, he says, O mighty man of valor. And here's the important thing. The important thing is not what God knows about me. It's what God sees I can be. Because, see, sometimes God knows exactly who I am. He knows, the inf- he knows my failures. He knows my insecurities. He knows my struggles. But he looks at James Irving, and he knows what James can be. And so he looks at Gideon not with eyes of a guy hiding in a hole. He looks at Gideon with eyes of wholeness. You see, later on when Gideon says Jehovah Shalom or Yahweh Shalom, Shalom we, we classify as peace. But it really in the Hebrew it means peace and wholeness, not just peace. And God's desire for us, whether we're in ministry or not, is for us to be whole. God's a God of restoration. And he knows that he has to deal with Gideon's insecurities first. And so in verse 14, it says, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. Can I remind you that he's hiding in a hole? (laughs) Do you get the irony here? He's hiding in a hole so the Midianites won't see him. And the angel says, Go in this strong might of yours. Who are you talking to? There's no one else in the hole with him. And so Gideon gets this idea you know what? This must be somebody important. Look what the scripture says. I love this verse. And it looks down and says, and Gideon perceived. Gideon perceived that this was someone important. What gave you the first clue, Gideon? The fact that he appeared to you in the hole? I mean, think about this. In the middle of the night, he's throwing up flesh. He's throwing up the, the, the wheat in the air. throwing up the air. And all of a sudden, this angel or something appears. Wouldn't that be a first clue that there's something important? And so what does Gideon do? First thing Gideon does is that blames on God. But then he says, who am I? I am the smallest of my family, and our family is the smallest of one of the smaller tribes. You see, the insecurities in Gideon are starting to come out. Who, who am I? And the question is not who am I. The question is what God sees I can be. Did you hear what I said? It's not about what I can do. The fact is, God does not need James Irving. And if, if James Irving were God, he would not choose James Irving. I'm going to give you a real clue. He would not choose me at all. Because he, I, know, I know myself. I know my tendencies. I know my weaknesses. I know my strengths. And if I had to pick out of the picking to go, here's the person I would pick, it's not me. And I'm so thankful that God doesn't base what he picks on off of human standards. God sees me what I can be and what I can become. And I want to tell you, when you get, start working in your calling, all these insecurities come out. When I became senior pastor, all of a sudden, things started to get revealed in me. 
And I, I'd go to Amy and say, Amy, what about this? She went, well, yeah. And I go, you've known? Well, I've been with you 20 years. Yeah, I, I knew that. And God began revealing all these insecurities in me and started dealing with these insecurities. Why? Because he knew that I was fixing to lead a group of people. And God knows that Gideon's fixing to lead a group of people to overthrow their oppressors. And the first thing that happens in this overpressor, read chapter 7. The first thing that happens is the army comes, and God says, it's too big. What do you mean it's too big? I'm going to fix and throw, over, throw an entire army, and I, don't have, and I have too many men? How often do you go into battle? Think about your battle history. I'm going with too many people? God calling me to take on the Midianites. I need as many people as I can get. Give me some tanks. <laughs> Give me something big. You want me to decrease in size? And God knows if Gideon doesn't handle the insecurities in his life, he'll never be able to follow God and do it God's way. And see, until we deal with the insecurities in us that come up, we'll never be able to do it God's way. We'll always try doing it our way because we've practiced what it works. We know ourselves. I'm, I'm going to be 48 next week. In 48 years, I know how James operates. I know what I can do. So in my own flesh, I can get the job done if I want to. But is my job going to have everlasting success? The answer is no. Because whatever I do is not going to last. And so if I do it God's way, but God knows he has to deal with James first. And see, that's the, that's the root of the disciple. The real disciple, following Christ, we realize that we put the old self away to take on the new cloth, the new garment, the new look. I become Christ. To become Christ, the old has to pass away. The old, old things become new. And so the passage goes on, and when we begin to walk in our calling, our insecurities and feelings of inadequacy, they get revealed. Guess what happens when they get revealed? Then they can be restored. Until I reveal something, I can't restore it. Uh, in the, the, the summer, Amy and my, our daughter Annie, our daughter's 10, uh, we homeschooled her up until this year. And I told her at the beginning of this year that if she were to do all the work that we assigned her, get all her history done and everything, I would take her to see all the things that she's doing. She, her, this year, this last year, she was doing um, all the national parks and western expansion and all that kind of stuff in her history. And so my daughter is one of those persons that if you tell her you're going to do something, if she does it, you better be prepared to do it because she's going to keep you to it. So she got done in May, and she said, Daddy, you promised, and said, okay, for vacation. So Amy and I took Annie, and we went to 26 national parks in the summer to take her to all the places, starting at the, the, the St. Louis Arch, all the way out to the San Francisco Bridge, and took her out all those things, show her all those things. And we get to the Sequoia National Forest, and if you know anything about my wife, she absolutely adores trees. She's the ultimate tree hugger, I'm going to tell you. And she, wanted, she knew the Sequoia National Forest is the largest tree in the world. It's the General Sherman tree. And uh, she wanted to go see it. And I said, no problem. You can drive almost to it and then walk down this little path about 220 feet and get there. Well, we got to the Sequoia National Forest, and it was so packed that we had to park three and a half miles away from the tree, down the mountain. Now, I, guys, I don't know about you that are married, but I wasn't prepared to look at my wife and say, you're not going to get your wish. So I parked the car and decided we're going to hike the three and a half miles up and the three and a half miles back. And so we hiked up, had a nice day. We hiked up the mountain, saw the tree, turned around, came back, and looked at my wife and said, are you glad you saw your tree? And she was all happy. And we got back to the hotel, and I took my boots off, my hiking boots off, and I had a blister 
on the bottom of my big toe. Now, I'm diabetic, the heart patient, and blisters on feet are not a good thing. So I called my, my podiatrist, and he told me what to do, and we started treating it. And a few weeks went by, and it started to heal, and I thought everything was, was great. And then in August, all of a sudden, my toe started turning black. On the outside, it was healed. But what had happened was the inside had gotten infected. The outside looked great, but what was on the inside caused the, t the, the toe to go, to go gangrenous. And so I had to have the toe removed. As a matter of fact, today's the first day I've worn shoes in about 15 weeks. And God taught me something through that. He said, we can look good on the outside, do all the things we need to do on the outside, but if we don't wield the inside securities, at some point, they're going to become gangrenous. And we've got to deal with those things. And so God did begin doing a deep work in me on, on a lot of these things, the insecurities that I had. And here, here's the great thing about this thing. Look at the verse, verse 16. The Lord says, but I will be with you. You shall strike the Midianites as one man. In other words, you're going to go in my power and strike as one man. You know Gideon's response? He ignores it. He literally ignores the statement and goes on and says this. He says, if I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign. Don't you think the fact that he's standing there in the first place is a really pretty good sign? <laughs> I mean, really, look at this picture. I mean, that's a, a pretty good sign. Show me a sign. Well, you just appeared. I mean, that's a pretty good sign <laughs> going on. But God knew that Gideon had to deal with the insecurities early. Matter of fact, it's so bad that if you read chapter 7, verse 10, God looks at Gideon and says, Gideon, if you're still in fear, go down to the Midianite camp. Take your servant with you and go and listen to what they're saying about you. And the scripture says that he goes, and he goes down and he listens to the Midianites, what they're saying about Gideon. And all these things are saying about Gideon. And I can see Gideon going, really? Oh, okay. Okay. Hey, I got this. But isn't the Lord so patient with us? I mean, look at this. He is so patient that he even understands that Gideon's going to be in fear. He has these insecurities. He says, listen, go and even listen to what they have to say. So back to our story. <laughs> this is so great. Gideon looks at him and goes, you know what? I perceive that you're somebody important. <laughs> Duh. Let me go make you something. And so he comes out of the hole and he goes to make him a goat and a, and a loaf of bread. Now, we just read over this and not really, really think about this. But I started doing some study about goat and making goat. And George, one of my, my associate pastors here, and he has a degree in live, farm and livestock management. Isn't that a great degree for a pastor? <laughs> farm and livestock management. That's what his degree is, really. And so we were talking about the goat. And he told me, you have to be so careful with preparing goat. It's not like sheep. It's not like something else. When you're preparing a goat, you take extra time to skin the goat. Because if one piece of hair from the goat touches the meat, it ruins it. So here he is taking this young goat, and he has to prepare it. Now, they don't have Winn-Dixie where I can go down and get the choice cuts of meat. He has to go out and pick the goat, drain the blood, skin it, and then cook it, right? Take some time. But then I really started looking at the flour aspect. And the scripture says that he took an ephah of flour. An ephah of flour is 48 pounds of flour. Now, I walked over to Winn-Dixie. Amy was with me, and we walked in, and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to go weigh some bread. 
And Amy looked at me and went, okay. She's been with me 20 years. She knows what I'm going to do something. It doesn't make sense. I'm just going to do it. So I go over and I get one of these big sunbeam, you know I'm talking about, these big loaves of sunbeam bread, the really long ones. And I'm thinking four or five pounds maybe. I put it on the scale and it's a pound. And I went, 48 of these plus the goat plus the broth? What in the world was Gideon thinking? Who's going to eat all this? And then I realized Gideon set himself out to impress this angel. Question, beloved. Did Gideon have to impress the angel? No. Matter of fact, his first statement is, Almighty oh, man, valued, highly favored. He didn't have to impress God. And so often we think, God, you called me. You've seen how good I really am. You know what? You've seen my strengths. You know how I can take care of this. Now, we don't say that out loud, but we do on the inside. We begin saying, I'm the one called to this. I got this. And God goes, really? Let me throw some church politics into you. <laughs> Dr. Gober, I think you ought to offer a class on church politics. Because once you get in a church calling situation and you start dealing with people, you start handling the most ludicrous things you ever thought you had in your life. 48, did I say 48 pounds of flour? Ever needed bread? Have you ever needed bread? You know how long it takes to knead bread? Imagine kneading 48 pounds. Think about how long it took to knead 48 pounds and to make the goat. And the whole time, he has left the angel in the hole. How often do we go off and do these things thinking I'm doing it, and we leave God in the hole? And you, I, I'm going through, Lord, why in the world? And God said to me, because Gideon wanted the guy to disappear. And that's how often we do this sometimes. We think if we can get so busy that our problems will just disappear. And God's going, no, I gave you the problems. Because the problems come because I want to make you a better person. I want to make you whole. And so God puts us in situations or allows us to be in situations that expose the insecurities. It wasn't a wonder that Gideon stuck in the bottom of the hole. God knew that. Was God surprised that Gideon was going to run in fear? No. But he said, you know what? I'm so committed to Gideon and working this calling that I want to deal with this first and make him whole. And the question is, we can either be in a hole or we can become whole. He goes on. I love this chat. I love this last part of this thing. He brings the flour out, the bread, and he brings the, the, the goat out. And the angel says, pour the broth on top of the, on top of the rock. Now, I don't know if you've served a meal before, but I've never used a rock for a plate. He tells him to lay it on the rock and then pour the... I could see Gideon going, you want me to do what? I, I, I just spent hours making this. You want me to do... What, what? And sometimes our calling, God asks us to do things that are the most unorthodox things ever. But guess what? When we're walking in the calling, we're walking in the anointing, the ludicrous becomes the normal. The impossible becomes the normal. The miraculous becomes the normal. And when we start walking in that calling and that anointing, God says, I've got to deal with these insecurities. I've got to deal with these things in your life. Why? Because I want you to walk in the miraculous. It was going to take a miracle for the Gideons to overthrow the Midianites. Do you remember the story from your childhood? you remember in Sunday school? Remember how he does it? 
takes 300 guys with a torch, a pitcher, and a horn. Now, if you were to go to West Point today and they were to ask you to draw up the battle lines to take on an army, I don't think you would put on the list a torch, a pitcher, and a horn. That's not great battle tactics. By the way, it's not that you start with thousands and thousands of men. You dwindle them down till they're 300 to take on the entire nation. It's not smart battle tactics. But if we're going to follow God in his calling, the miraculous, that's when starts, things start happening. And we have to be ready for that. Why? Because it's not me. It's not Gideon's anointing. It's God working through him. And God has to know, can I trust you with the anointing? Can I trust you with the miraculous? He's asking Gideon, Gideon, can I trust you with the miraculous? And these parts of fear that you have, we're going to have to deal with them because they're going to keep you from walking where I need you to walk. And beloved, so often God is more committed to the leader to begin with because our people will never go where we haven't been. Last, last week, um, we had our, our, our state meeting with our ministers, and our state pastor was doing this message on leading in the dark and how the church right now is, is, in, is in dark. We're, we're walking in darkness in a lot of ways. Um, Dr. Farmer just shared a little bit about it earlier. And we can't lead in the dark unless we've walked through it ourselves with God walking beside us. The psalmist said, you'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. That means he has to walk through it. And God's preparing us to restore us to be there. Verse 24, then Gideon built an altar where the Lord called it, the Lord is peace. And I think right here, I don't think God, that Gideon was just thinking about the word peace as in peace as we would think peace. I think Gideon's realizing that God is one to make me whole. You know what the real irony of this story is? God tells him, I want you to go and tear down the Asherah pole and tear down the altar to Baal. Guess when Gideon does it? At night. And the scriptures were it, so no one else would know. The real irony is, if you look at the next verse, everybody in town knew who did it. Everybody. Matter of fact, they come to his father Joash and said, bring out Gideon, we want to deal with him. So him doing it at night didn't matter at all. He, they already knew. You see, when you're walking and calling, and God is doing something miraculous, you don't have to broadcast it yourself. People are going to hear it. They want to see it. But if you don't deal with the insecurities, don't deal with the fears, don't with the stuff in the inside, it becomes like a toe. And God's got to remove it so you can continue to walk. And so Gideon begins to deal with it. And he gets this point. He says, we begin to walk in our calling. The continuing fear that we hold inside becomes revealed. And at first you go, God, I, I, I don't want those things revealed. I want to keep them hidden. I don't want everyone else to know that I suffer from these. But until they're revealed, guess what? God can't restore them. Until you see what's underneath the paint on the car, you can't restore it to make it like it was new. And that's God's calling to us in the first place. I want to restore you. I want to recreate you to reflect my image. And so we allow God to deal with those things. And when we do, we're no longer in the hole. We become whole. May God add his blessing to the proclamation of the word.